Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bible with Border. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether it's live on Facebook or whether it's via podcast or YouTube later on. Uh, today, we are going to be doing the study of John part four, and we're going to be talking about baptism pretty, uh, pretty deeply, pretty intensely. And so that's going to be a big portion of this particular uh, episode in this part of the study. So, uh, so let's go ahead and dive into it. We're going to be covering John 1, verses 24 through 34. So I'm going to be reading from the ESV to get us started. Let me bring that up. All right. Now, they have been sent from, they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he may be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is who... This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and have borne witness to this, that this is the Son of God. So that was John chapter 1, verses 24 through 34. So um, so let's go ahead and dive into it and uh, and, and get started. So we, we talked about last time about Jesus being God in the flesh, about him coming down from heaven to earth to exist among us. And John being the uh, the witness here in the beginning of the, the Gospel of John. And this is John the Baptist, not John the author of this Gospel. So this, you know, just make sure we're clear on that. Now, uh, so baptisms were practiced by the uh, Essenes, which is a strict uh, monastic sect of Judaism. This was one form, or this was a form of purification. Uh, it normally happened to Gentiles who would convert to Judaism. So the interesting thing here is that uh, in these times, there were Gentiles, there were non-Jews who would convert to Judaism. And then once they were converted, they were a part of the Jewish people. And so uh, it's really hard to keep track of everybody who was, who you consider like a, a full-blood Jew. Uh, there were some people in the time who were very proud of that, that were very uh, boastful of that. And... Um, but, you know, these baptisms were a way to, you know, to, to include Gentiles, to cleanse them of their Gentile background in order to become uh, Jewish, in a sense. So the problem here was that John was baptizing Jews, which would have upset the Pharisees because this shows that everyone, it shows everyone that Gentiles and Jews both needed to be baptized. So John would baptize um, following his statement, and a heart of repentance. So essentially, you, you repent of your sin, and he would baptize you. And so only prophets or people of a high level could actually perform baptisms in that day. So, um, so what is baptism? So baptism comes from the Greek verb uh, baptizo. It means to dip, immerse, or cover in water. So from the jump, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, baptism 
in the definition is to be completely covered in water. So when Jesus was baptized, it was a symbol of his surrendering to the will of the Heavenly Father. Now, Jesus didn't need to repent because he was already sinless. There was nothing to repent of. It shows that our relationship, and it also shows our relationship to Christ whenever we get baptized. And, uh, and it depicts his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, we die to our old self, and we're made into new creation through the washing of our sins. So that's, it's, a, it's symbolic. Baptism is a symbolic um, thing of God removing the stain of sin of, on our lives. So, so there's three ideas that kind of um, around what baptism actually does for believers. So one is that some believe baptism is required for salvation. So there are, um, and I would say there's, there's, you know, there's decent enough arguments for the concept that you is required. So uh, to be saved, you must, you know, repent, be baptized, right? Uh, there's a couple of statements that, that say and be baptized. Even the Great Commission, go and baptize, you know, so it's a big portion of our Christian walk. Baptism is very important. Uh, I don't think it's required, and we'll talk about that here in a little while. Now, the second stance is that it is a seal or that it seals salvation. So it does not actually take part in saving us, but it keeps us saved. So the idea is that you're reborn and then you're baptized and then the baptism is a way of sealing that. Uh, I don't necessarily think that is accurate either. So because Ephesians tells us that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. Now, the third view, which is the view that I personally share, is that it's a symbolic announcement of a person's decision to follow Christ and their initiation into the body of Christ. So you're baptized into the body, and um, and that that's that's the way that I've always viewed baptism, and that's the way I feel like biblically it is. Now, uh, along with the belief in Christ and the reception of the Holy Spirit, baptism is one of three common occurrences that we do see in the New Testament church. Like I said, it's a very big part of the church, of being a follower of Christ. Now, who should be baptized? There's two big ideas on whether a person should be baptized based on profession of their own personal faith or as a decision or a dedication to the church. So, uh, so we have two examples of children being baptized or possibly being baptized. So we have an Acts 16. 14 through 15, it says, one, uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of uh, Thyatira, I can't say that right, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay as she prevailed upon us, or and she prevailed upon us. So here, her household as well. Um, so also in 1 Corinthians 1.16, it says here, So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So essentially, this is Paul just saying, um, he's explaining how he, he wasn't really called to, to baptize. It was called to preach the gospel. And he says that in verse 17. And, uh, he's saying that he, he, he baptized the household of Stephanus. Uh, so the thing here is one, we don't know what the household means. We don't know what it entails and includes. We can assume there's children or there's infants. Um, we really don't know. 
We're not sure. We don't know for sure uh, the age of anybody in the households or whether or not they had a profession of faith. Uh, we're, we're just not told that. So I don't really think it's super important. Now, some who argue for the infant baptism uh, look at the family and promise to Abraham as an example of God having a covenant with children before they choose to obey God. So essentially it is, you know, God's made this covenant. He's already accepted uh, in the New Testament church. He's already accepted these children, especially if you are of the, uh, I hate generalizing, but I would say if you're of the, the Calvinistic or Reformed theology mindset, if you're a once saved, always saved, God chooses who he's going to save. Uh, he has the elect. Then infant baptism really doesn't matter that much because they're saved or they're not saved. And so it's if they're an infant and get baptized, it doesn't really matter much different if they're an adult and get baptized because they're still saved. So, but if you believe that uh, salvation is something that you choose, then um, then being baptized after you choose salvation uh, is uh, what I would feel like is accurate. So, but uh, but they look at Abraham and the children of Abraham being baptized as part of the covenant. And so some look to the church as a modern-day Israel because Israel circumcised their babies based on the Abrahamic covenant. Some currently baptize their children as a part of the new church covenant. So every other example in the Bible has adults being baptized after their conversion. Uh, it may be better to practice what we see explicitly in Scripture instead of thinking of possibilities. So that's the way that I look at Scripture. Uh, I don't think it's wise to practice based on possibilities, but instead of probabilities or what is explicitly explicitly told to us in Scripture. And so uh, one other thing I actually don't have in my notes, but I'll mention uh, the reason why I don't think that baptism is required for salvation is whenever Jesus was on the cross with two thieves beside him or two criminals beside him, one of them says, please remember me. Uh, and then Jesus says, uh, you will be with me in heaven, essentially. And he wasn't baptized. There was no way to get baptized. He died on that cross. And so do I think it's required? No. Do I think it's an important part of our walk? Absolutely. Uh, I compare baptism, and a lot of people do, to a wedding ring. You don't have to have a wedding ring to get married. So here's mine. If I take it off, I'm still married. I still have my vows to my wife. Uh, we're still in covenant. But the ring shows everybody around me that I have a wife, that I have made a covenantal promise to her to always be with her until I die. And so the ring is like baptism. The baptism shows those around you that I am part of the bride of Christ. That's what it's there for. Now, the uh, the method of baptism. So the, the last big discussion around baptism is the method of it. So there's three most common practices that include sprinkle, pouring, and immersion. So the only version that we see in scripture is immersion, which is what the actual meaning of the word is, like we stated earlier. Not to say that it's wrong to sprinkle or pour, but that's not what we know to be practiced in the early church times, not in scripture. Now, John, uh, John didn't, he didn't answer the Pharisees whenever they asked him the reason why he was baptizing instead of finding a reason why he was worthy to baptize. Instead, he humbles himself even more in regards to the one that's most worthy, Jesus. So John says that he was not even worthy to do the most lowly task of tying the laces of Jesus sandals. 
It was a menial slave task. So this is like almost the lowest of the low you could do as a slave. And John said he wasn't even worthy to do that. Now, when we see this in the early part of John, it shows how um, how low Jesus humbles himself later whenever he washes the disciples' feet. So Jesus humbles down to the lowest of lowest, being the, the highest of highs in importance, and, and shows us you know, how we are to live our lives with humility uh, in an act of serving one another. So uh, John also says that Jesus is someone not known. Uh, this tells us that Jesus was not a highly respected person before his ministry, and that he was in the middle of a crowd and drew no recognition to himself until it was actually time. And so one thing that, uh, that we should think about our lives and our calling is how can we be more like John the Baptist and, uh, or John the Baptizer. And I don't mean that you know, we're supposed to imitate him in every way, but I think in this particular example, you know, they're asking him, they're like, hey, what gives you the right to baptize? Like, who are you to be baptizing Jews? I mean, come on. Like, we're good, we have the law, we have our cleansing system, we have our ceremonies, we have all these things that we do in order to be clean. Who are you to come and baptize God's people? And ironically enough, later on, Jesus himself gets baptized. And so, it's kind of an amazing thing when you think about it. Jesus, God himself, decides to do this symbolic cleansing Um which ultimately was him just placing himself under the submission of God, showing everybody that he was under submission of God. So uh, verses 29 through 34, the next day Jesus was, uh, he was coming toward John and, and he saw Jesus as Messiah for the first time. Now lambs were used as an offering uh, or as offerings every morning and evening in the temple for a sin offering for the people of God, Israel. It was a practice the Jews did every day. So in Exodus 29, let me go there, bring it up on our screen here. So in Exodus 29, 38 through 42, it says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs, a year old, day by day regularly. One, am you sh one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for drinking offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with a grain offering and a drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. So that was the, 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 the symbolism in the Old Testament for the coming Messiah, for Jesus. Now, where am I here? Um, so John understood what he was referring to whenever he said Lamb of God, like he, he meant this particular thing. Uh, as he would have remembered what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 7. So if we go there. Do I have it up here? Ooh, Isaiah 50. Okay, I'm just going to have to read it to you. I apologize. Uh, Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears and silent. So he opened not his mouth. Uh, that was Isaiah 53, 7. I, I, I ended like I was going to keep going on. My apologies. So Paul talks about Jesus being the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. 
So if we turn there, um, it's mentioned, it says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you're really unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So Paul refers to him as the lamb as well. So let me bring up. My apologies, y'all. Um, so John says that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Uh, this can be understood in a multitude of ways. So he takes away every sin for those who were saved is one of them. So the idea here is that every single sin that we commit on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, that God takes every individual sin away. Now, that's one view. Another view is that one sin was the downfall of all mankind handed down through Adam, which we actually read about that in 2 Corinthians. It talks about uh, everybody died in Adam, so people can be made alive through Christ the or the second Adam. So Jesus took away the sin of the world. Maybe this was in reference to Adam's sin, which would uh, kind of, in a way, cover everybody else's. And then some think that it means that Jesus took away everyone's sin, like everybody's sin. But in other places in scripture, we find that too many conflicting verses that speak against that idea of universalism. Universalism essentially means that everybody's going to heaven. Jesus died for everyone. He died for the whole world. That includes every individual person. And so therefore everybody is saved. And uh, and I I don't agree with that. I don't think scripture teaches that. Um, I think we take generalities and we place them on each individual person. And we see in lots of places in scripture, uh, especially later on in John, that those who were not in Christ, um, and there are those who are not in Christ. There's a, there's a, a distinction made later in the gospel to John. And we'll get to that point. So I think it, I I think that it is, uh, I think Jesus took away the sin of the world as he gave a gift so that those who were in Christ, who are found in Christ later, or however that works, whoever are saved, that their sins are taken away. So in a sense, I would, I would almost say, uh, takes away every single sin for every person or that are in Christ possibly, uh, not that in general, Jesus took away all sin from the world. So he did take on the sin of the world, but if you don't accept that gift of salvation, if you're not, uh, if you don't choose to follow Christ, then you don't have that gift. So John shares for a third time that Jesus existed before himself. So it must've been an important point for, for the gospel writer. John the Baptist states that, uh, he baptized with water so that Jesus would be revealed to Israel. He once again avoids any recognition or praise for himself to show that his obedience was simply to point others to Jesus. So John had this way where he could have easily pointed at himself and said, hey, I'm the one that God sent to baptize. I'm the one that God sent to show the way to the Messiah, right? I mean, that's, you know, if he was emceeing the event and Jesus was getting ready to come out, you know, the MC is the one that goes out there, gets the crowd ready. He's like, hey, you know, we got this person coming on stage. He's going to rock the house. He's going to do all these wonderful things. Like that could have been John. And John did it as humbly as possible, almost in a way that he kind of didn't even want you to know he was there. He just wanted to be that voice in the wilderness. So Though John knew who Jesus was, he had not recognized Jesus as Messiah at this point. God told John that he would know who the Messiah was when he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him. Now, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tells us this happened 
whenever John baptized Jesus. So in Matthew 3, I'm going to turn to there real quick, and we're going to kind of read this story. Or it's, it's not a story, it's just a really short snippet. But uh, it's in Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan of to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him by saying, I need you, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Excuse me. One beautiful thing about this is this shows you the unity of the, the triune God. It shows you Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father all in this one setting. So it's really a, a very powerful and, and kind of a magical moment in a sense, a divine moment in history where they all three come together. So we see this some throughout scripture. I think this right here is just a, a beautiful moment in time that I would have loved to have been a witness to. Um, so maybe they'll have it on TiVo or, or replay whenever we get to heaven, we could see that moment in time. So, uh, so in the Old Testament, the Spirit would often give people, uh, in, with an important task, a moment of supernatural power. And so essentially, whenever people had to do something, the Holy Spirit would come down, help them do it, and then leave and go back to heaven, for lack of a better explanation. In this scene with Jesus, it is understood that the Holy Spirit entered him and stayed. So it's, it's, the Holy Spirit didn't come and leave. Like he didn't come, Jesus did something real quick, and then the Holy Spirit left. The Holy Spirit stayed with him, kind of ongoing until later on the cross whenever uh, he released the Spirit. Uh, Isaiah 11, 2, we'll turn there real quick together. It says... And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So it will come and sit upon him and stay. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So that's the Spirit falling and, and resting upon Jesus whenever he was baptized. So, uh, so John states... John restates his main purpose here um, toward the end of this area, this, this part of scripture. His main purpose is bearing witness to Jesus being the Son of God. And, um, and for me, I think a good ending point is just understanding that uh, in our lives, our number one purpose is to be a witness to Jesus, to be a witness for Jesus. We all have individual purposes. Uh, on Solomon's Porch Podcast, Sean and I actually talked about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, and essentially to glorify the Father is our, it's kind of our purpose, our overall purpose. How we do it individually might differ for each person day by day, moment by moment, uh, but when we live our life, people should somehow see a witness to Jesus. Jesus should be able to look upon us and say, they're witnessing about me right now, and how they talk to people, respond to people, how they um, are being considerate, the words they use, all these things on top of, you know, letting people know who Jesus is. So um, I know we're in a day and age where evangelism, uh, like explicit evangelism is not uh, greatly, I think, uh, wanted in a way. I don't know if it's ever wanted, but 
even in the church, you know, we had this idea that, you know, we'll just kind of live our lives. And if people ask us, you know, why we live our lives this way, then we'll, we'll, we'll tell them about Jesus then. I think we've got to have both. I think in our lives, we should be talking about Jesus, uh, talking about what he's done for us. You know, if we've got through with sickness, we could say, praise Jesus, he, he got us better, whether it's through medicine, doctors, or whatnot. But we should find any moment that we can to really point our fingers to Jesus. Uh, John did this so many times in his ministry. And I want to be like that. I want my life to be, you know, like John, where people ask me, hey, who do you think you are to do X, Y, Z? And I can just say, hey, look, look at Jesus. Don't look at me. Look at him. He's the one that provides the way. He's the one that provides anything and everything we could ever need here on earth and eternally. And so th this life isn't about us. Our, our purpose is not wrapped around us. It's wrapped around him. So let's focus on that this week. Uh, I hope this has been helpful, beneficial to you. If it has, uh, you know anybody who might benefit from this, especially with the discussion of baptism, uh, feel free to share it. Uh, if this is beneficial to you, you can like and subscribe to all that that cool, fun stuff on YouTube. Uh, if you're on Facebook, share it. If you're listening to podcasts, subscribe. Uh, this show is on podcast format. So if, uh, if you listen to Apple Music or Spotify, you can find this on there. And I think Google Play and Stitcher and all the other places. So if you're watching this on YouTube and you want to listen to it, it might be easier for you. Go check me out on one of those areas. Just look up Bible with Bordeaux. Um, if you want to support the ministry, there's links in the description where you can do that if you feel led to. And, uh, and I'll be back next time with part five of the uh, Gospel of John study. So see you next time. Thank you and God bless.